doctors don't have a clear understanding of it. It started opening up my mind to like, how does the human body work? This is a real thing that really affects people. This is a major pain. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Christelle, who will share the story of surviving and recovering from a brain injury. Christelle was hit by a car, and her head went through the windshield. This gave her what's called a cone-fractured skull, where her skull actually fractured like a cone inwards and pressed onto her brain. Christelle actually sent me a photo of her brain imaging, which I used as the podcast artwork this week, where you can actually faintly make out this fracture. I was completely blown away by this incredible story of survival. And, you know, it's amazing that Christelle survived this accident to begin with, but it's so impressive what she's done since then. She had to relearn a lot of basic skills. She worked incredibly hard to find a new normal and to regain her functionality. We talk a lot in this conversation about masking, about hiding what it is that you're experiencing to appear normal, and how much effort and energy it can take just to push through symptoms to function in a society. And I was surprised to find how much I related to what she was saying as someone with a chronic illness. I absolutely have a lot of experience with masking. And, you know, this conversation really made me step back and re-examine my own behavior. Um, if I'm having, you know, muscle spasms or cognitive issues from my own chronic illness, I often feel like I have to hide it and I have to appear normal. And I, there's only certain per people that I let see, uh, see me on bad days. It really made me stop and think about how much effort I put into masking and how if there are people that I love and trust, it's okay for them to see me on bad days. And since having this discussion, I've, I've been trying to open myself up a little bit to being seen on my bad days and being a little bit more honest with the people around me about what I'm experiencing. You know, I talk about it a lot on this show, but I don't show it very often. And that's something I hadn't even realized until this conversation. So this is another just absolutely fantastic episode, something that, uh, again, just impacted me so deeply to have this conversation. I felt so lucky uh, having this conversation, being able to share it with you today. So we'll get to that in just a couple minutes. We got another amazing five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts this week that I'm really excited to share with you. And this one ties in directly to something I shared last week, where I thanked Zoe for making a TikTok, um, talking about the podcast and saying that she had specifically found an Apple device just to review this podcast. So let me read you this new review. It's from Fahrenheit Celsius. You know the rest. The first time I've been compelled to write a podcast review. I learned about this podcast the other day on TikTok from Zoe, and I'm so glad she shared it. I've already listened to the Born HIV Positive and Adaptive Sports episodes, and I'm hooked. I was initially hesitant when I saw how long the HIV episode was, but it was fascinating and engaging. Ultimately, the episode flew by, and I was eager to listen to the next episode. I'll definitely be binging the back catalog. If you have a chronic illness or know someone who does, this podcast gives excellent insight into the lives of people in the disabled community. As someone with rheumatoid arthritis who lives in chronic pain, I've loved the positivity that I heard on the two episodes I've listened to so far. I cannot recommend this podcast enough. Thank you so much for that review. And Zoe, thanks again. You got a new listener to check out the show. And uh, I just appreciate that so much. And thank you so much for this beautiful new review. I get so excited every time I see a new rating or review on Apple Podcasts. As I always say, it's one of the best ways to help us to reach new listeners. And TikTok has been great for this show. I, you know, it's absolutely amazing how many people 
uh, I've been able to reach or our listeners have been able to reach through TikTok to tell them about this show. I just, you know, I really want that any I want that anyone who needs this show can find it. That's a huge goal of mine uh, is to, you know, grow awareness of this show itself and to grow this community. And I just appreciate the help so much because I cannot do it alone. So your help is instrumental in helping this show to succeed. And I'm just still, I'm so amazed by the reach that this show already has. I hear from a lot of people about how how important this show has become to them. And that just fills me with so much joy. I really hope to grow this show into something that can um, continue to grow and continue to be around for a long, long time, for as long as I can. And I'd love to make this a career. I would love to bring in some revenue from creating this podcast, especially since my chronic illness keeps me from working. So head to patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast to sign up to support this show. Uh, I appreciate that so much. Extra special thank you to Chris Fowler and Steve Cavanaugh, our Patreon producers, who helped to make this show possible today, and the rest of our community on Patreon. By signing up to support this podcast, you can get special recognition and gifts, and we've also added in a brand new reward for all members of the Patreon community, which is monthly bonus episodes where Andy and I will sit down and answer your questions. We've got a great question from Laura to answer for this next bonus episode coming up at the beginning of December, and if you'd like to ask a question of us, if you are already a member of the Patreon community, there is a post visible only to people who have signed up on Patreon right there at Patreon dot com slash major pain podcast where you can submit your questions for our december bonus episode ask anything you want can be related to this show's topic or not it's totally up to you we've got about a week left to submit questions so if you're already signed up on patreon don't forget to do so i have to coordinate with andy but i believe we'll be recording that bonus episode on either the 29th or the 30th so be sure to submit your questions before then and if you are not yet supporting the show on patreon there are three tiers starting at two dollars per month and everyone who signs up will have access to bonus episodes one last thing i want to address before jumping into our episode today I try to go out of my way to continually say, you know, I am not a medical professional, and unless otherwise noted, my guests are not either. And it occurred to me that maybe I should make that a little bit more formal by adding a disclaimer to the beginning of the show. So I spent some time thinking about this and I wrote something out. Here's what I came up with. The Major Pain Podcast features stories from individuals living with chronic illness, chronic pain, disability, invisible illness, and undiagnosed disease. Please keep in mind that our guests are not medical professionals, unless otherwise noted, and neither am I, your host. Please take this show as intended, a collection of personal stories and experiences, not medical advice. Do not take any medical action based off listening to this show without first consulting your doctor. So that's what I came up with. I'm leaning towards putting that at the beginning of every episode, the very first thing you hear before the opening music the rest of the show will be, you know, exactly as it has been. It will just now include that message at the beginning. That's my plan. I'd like to hear from you, from the listeners. Uh, I just want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing here and that this this is the right impulse. You know, I, I trust my impulses, but I also recognize that this is a growing community. And as the creator and host of this show, it's very important that I serve this community. So I just want to check in with people and make sure that that feels comfortable, that wording, or if you have recommendations or think this is a horrible idea, please let me know. You can reach out at majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. 
I also want to be super clear that I've been thinking about this for several weeks at this point, and this does not reflect on any one individual or conversation, definitely does not reflect on my conversation with Christelle today. I'm just thinking about our growing audience and the future of this show and an overabundance of caution. Um, just because I take this very, very seriously, it means a lot to me. And I, you know, I want this show to mean a lot to the people who listen to it. And because of that, I carry that as a responsibility to make sure that this show is trying to provide as much good with as little harm as possible. All right, well, let's get into our fantastic conversation with Christelle about surviving and recovering from a brain injury. Christelle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you today. This is going to be a new topic for us on the podcast, a totally different type of major pain. I'm really excited to get into it. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too, because really, uh, truthfully, um, traumatic brain injury is very prolific. Yeah. But it's also invisible. It's yeah. very invisible. So. Yeah. Well, before we get to that, let's get to know you a little bit. Uh, Christelle, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So, my name is Christelle. I'm from uh, essentially Monterey, California. And um, I am actually one big thing, one big accomplishment that um, I want to note is that after my traumatic brain injury, I've actually, I have succeeded in making it through school uh, to gain my master's degree in clinical mental health counseling. Wow. So right now, um, I'm working through 3,000 clinical hours, which is what it takes to get licensed as a counselor. Uh, but I am I'm doing telehealth um, and working through my hours to become a professional counselor. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, doing that at all is an achievement, but to, to do that after a brain injury is incredible. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And, and, uh, the symptoms that follow a brain injury have really, that it takes, it's taken me a lot longer to, to get mm. through school. Um, but I'm, I'm proud of myself and I actually am a scholar. I have a 3.56 GPA, which I got enrolled in the National Scholars uh, Association, so I'm I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of myself in general, but with a brain injury, yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you absolutely should be. Um, and how about hobbies? Are what are you into? Um, so I'm into cycling, which is how I got my brain injury. Mm. Uh, but I still, I'm proud of myself there too, because I have gotten back on my bicycle and I ride my bike quite often. Yeah. Uh, and there's a protected bicycle trail here, which is really nice because I feel more secure. Yeah. I don't come in contact with many cars, things like that. I like to surf. Typical California girl, right? Surf. <laughs> and... um and stand up paddleboard. Yeah. Sorts of things. And I was in the military. I was in the Air Force for eight years. Um, and I was an aircraft mechanic. So wow. strangely enough, I'm pretty mechanical. I like doing things with my hands. 
<laughs> yeah, amazing. Very cool. It sounds like you've you've done a lot with your life. Thank you. Yeah, I've, I try. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you've given us some some hints here, but let's let's get into the the meat of your story. So, Christelle, what is your major pain? So I have a traumatic brain injury, and there are three uh, levels. There's mild, moderate, and major, major pain. Uh, <laughs> sometimes they call it a severe traumatic brain injury. And I was diagnosed with a severe traumatic brain injury. I was hit by a texting driver who went through a stop sign. Hmm. I was on a beach cruiser bicycle so i wasn't wearing a helmet um i thought i was safe i thought i was a good cyclist mm -hmm. i wasn't um uh protected you know you can be very defensive cycling but sometimes uh you can't help what other people do other people's behavior yeah absolutely it's so impossible he, to be offensive when it's bike versus car yes yeah. yes versus car and he ran the stop sign he was going pretty fast about 40 miles an hour mm. i went head first through his windshield wow broke his windshield with my head and uh i went i was backwards going backwards so he uh gave me what's called a cone fractured skull so the back of my skull fractured like a cone and went into the back of my brain Wow. Into my occipital lobe, I had a brain bleed, um, also called a subdural hematoma, in my parietal, occipital, and temporal lobes. So three of my uh, lobes were affected. And um, the parietal was the hardest because it caused me to sometimes forget language, uh, to have problems with my behavior, you know, problems with emotions. I really just uh, experienced a lot of difficulty with that. And also uh, the hardest part, which is uh, what makes my heart go out to you, is I had proprioception issues for a long time, for years. Uh, you know, I was in a wheelchair at first after the hospital, then used a walker, and then a cane. What is the um, word you use? Proprioception? Uh, it's your brain's communication with your body. So wow. um, my brain wasn't communicating properly to my body. So I had a, my foot would drop. Um, you know, I couldn't pick up my leg and put my foot down. Mm. I couldn't grasp something with my hand. Um, I couldn't move my arms up and down of my own, uh, you know, like my brain wasn't talking to my body. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know there was a word for that. That's a great word. Proprioception. Yeah. 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 <laughs> wow. I mean, this is incredible. I mean, it's amazing that you're here talking to me at all after an injury like that. It's amazing that you survived and that you've, I mean, you've obviously recovered tremendously since then you're so um present today you know and you're so sharp and i you know like you said these sometimes these things can be invisible um because like on a good day um like people can seem totally normal that on a bad day 
are having a really difficult time functioning. So that's, I'm, I'm so excited to learn more. This is an incredible story. Can I ask, how long ago was this? Uh, my injury was on 6-22-13. So it's been about eight and a half years. Yeah. And uh, time is, is a interesting subject when you talk about traumatic brain injury. Yeah. Because, um, and I think this is, this is uh, probably all chronic illness. You learn, I'm glad that you said that I'm present, that I seem great. Uh, you learn to mask mm -hmm. in front of other people. You learn to be seemingly normal when yeah. you could be experiencing um, any number of symptoms. I still have seizures uh, and sometimes they're absent seizures. So I can just kind of space out for a second and you wouldn't know mm -hmm. that I'm having a seizure. Um, I do have big seizures too, but, um, and those ones are much more obvious. Or, you know, I have exhaustion. Mm -hmm. I still have verbal aphasia. I forget words. Um, and those are, that, those are a big deal. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and even though it was eight and a half years ago, that amount of time hasn't allowed for complete healing because once you have a traumatic brain injury, your brain can reroute and mm -hmm. you can relearn a lot of things, but the damage, the initial damage to your brain never goes away. Yeah. So a lot of those symptoms that were still present or that were present when I first got the injury are still present. Yeah. Well said. I mean, it's so important for any, anyone who doesn't live with any sort of chronic illness to understand the masking piece because that's so true. You know, there is a subconscious need, I think, among all of us to seem normal. And I know that, you know, I'll go to, a, like, if I go to a family function or like one of Andy's family's functions, I carry myself a little bit differently than if I were alone. And I will expend a little bit more energy on trying to function normally. And then I'll get in the car and I'll just fall apart, you know? <laughs> yeah, like my, I'll just start spasming and like, I can't speak anymore. I have to go into what I call low power mode. Um, but like three minutes ago, I was kind of forcing through that to like force these symptoms away. So it's like a energy management situation where if you, if you don't have to expend that energy, um, it will be less apparent from the outside that you are struggling. And when you do have to expend that energy, there's a limited amount that you can do before it becomes extremely apparent. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, so that's, that's my experience of, of it anyway. So I totally know what you're talking about. That's yeah, such a real thing because I, I, I feel like able-bodied people will sometimes see that and say, oh, you're fine. You can do this thing. You're fine. It's like, well, I can do this thing for this amount of time or on this particular day. And that does not mean I'm fine. And that means that maybe I'm masking and I'm in pain that entire time, or I'm struggling to function through something um, that entire time. And, you know, I would never want to diminish that because that's such a struggle. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is the biggest take home for me mm. about invisible disabilities is that 
in public, most people with disabilities and invisible disabilities seem fine, you know, and you have moments around the people you feel safe around yeah. or just alone yeah. where there, that breakdown happens and it's, it's a little maddening to be honest <laughs> because, you know, um, I, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to make people uncomfortable in public mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Uh, you know, if I, if I, I'm, I think I'm in constant fear, to be honest, moment of honesty, of having a seizure in public. Yeah. That's always been my fear, that I'll just be at the mar- supermarket and trying to get my shopping done, and I'll have a seizure. Um, something like that. Or um, I'll just have, I'll have a breakdown, you know, I'll just... Like you said, I I have the same thing. I start shaking my muscle muscle spasm. It isn't easy um, to mask that for very long. Right. And sometimes we push beyond the limit. Yes. Around people we don't know, you know, around people in public Mm -hmm. to our own detriment. It's like we live our lives on credit. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and, and no amount of masking can hide when you've pushed too far, you know? Right. Or like if you haven't gotten enough sleep, or <laughs> if you ate the wrong thing, or, you know, all these different factors can can play into it. You're, you're always balancing. Your like, whole life becomes this balancing act. And yeah, I totally hear you on that fear of, of that happening in public. I mean, I think a lot of, for me, a lot of those like similar feelings come from the fact that the general population of America does not seem to have empathy. And that scares me, you know, as someone who sort of requires empathy on a bad day to function. um, That's, you know, huge. And and why I want to make this show is to kind of spread some awareness about what other people are living through. Um, And that's why I'm so grateful that you're here today to, to share your story, because, you know, we can make your... Uh, what what would sometimes be invisible for you, we can make it very visible today and, and tell everyone who listens to the show about it. And I'm so excited about that. Absolutely. Yeah. And it does need to reach a bigger audience. Um, and that brings me to the statistics of traumatic brain injury, Yeah, which is kind of insane, to be honest. So the CDC reports and and I'm sure it's underreported because these are people who were hospitalized or had to go uh, get a get a scan, a CAT mm-hmm. scan or an MRI to see if they have brain damage, see if they have a brain injury, right? But um, the CDC reports that 2.8 million Americans per year uh, sustain a traumatic brain injury. 2.8 wow. million Americans per year. If you think about the scope of that, like the city of LA uh, sustains a traumatic brain injury every single year. And about 64,000 of those don't make it. Wow. Sadly. Um, And initially, right. And you can pass away from many other complications later down the line. Mm -hmm. So that's just an initial statistic, but 
you know, I mean, if we're being if we're being liberal, fair, we could say that two point there's two point seven million survivors of traumatic brain injury building each and every year yeah. in the United States. Yeah, that's shocking. Millions and millions of people. Yeah. Um, with a completely invisible disability. I mean, there are, like I said, there are three different levels mm -hmm. of traumatic brain injury, and some can seem completely normal in public. Some, uh, you know, maybe in a wheelchair, they may have had it in conjunction with a spinal injury or have to use canes or other, other mobility aids, things like that. Their speech may be impacted. But for the most part, I think most survivors of traumatic brain injury seem normal. Yeah. And so as far as empathy is concerned, we're walking around every single day bumping into, uh, making loud noises around, and not behaving in a trauma-informed way around people who have experienced traumatic brain injury and survive yeah. and are still experiencing it. It's, I mean, with the number of people who have survived it, I'd wager to guess we come into contact with at least one survivor a day, if not every other day, you know? Wow. Yeah, totally. I love that phrasing of, of walking through the world in a trauma-informed way. I, I really like that. I feel like when you really, the more you learn about what other human beings are going through, the more you, the more I have learned to approach every person that I meet um, with some patience and some empathy because you never know what anyone else is experiencing. Um, I would love to hear a little bit more about the immediate aftermath of your, uh, of your accident. So, I mean, another huge takeaway, don't text and drive. Um, <laughs> yes, don't drive distracted, period. Yeah, absolutely. So, you said that your, your skull um, pushed in onto your brain, so you yes. must have had to go into emergency surgery. Tell me about that. Um, so actually there's two kinds of, uh, injury impacts to the brain. One is open, one is closed, right? Mm. So, um, you know, you could have a, an injury where you hit your head very hard and, uh, you may have a small fracture to your skull, but your brain bounces around inside your head mm. and that causes swelling. And that's when surgery is needed they usually put like a stent in your brain which drains the pressure out okay or sometimes they'll do um they'll remove a part of your skull to alleviate the swelling mm. um, because swelling is what kills um as your brain pushes against the inside of your skull um it damages more parts of the brain wow but i was lucky because I'm, i mean as lucky as you can be with a brain injury. But because my skull was broken, um, it actually created a hole in my skin, yeah, in my scalp, and so, and in my skull, obviously. So they didn't do surgery, they let it drain naturally. Wow. 
So the the pressure was already being relieved. Yes. Wow. Thank goodness. Thank goodness for that. But I was admitted to, um, I, I was taken unconscious immediately to the emergency room. I was in Salt Lake City, Utah. So I went to the University of Utah Hospital, um, which is a wonderful place to end up with a brain injury because it's in Utah where everybody skis and everybody gets brain injuries skiing. So they have a really great brain injury team. I hate to say that, but (laughs) they were, they were great there. Um, But, and then I was admitted to the neural critical care unit. So they actually have a whole critical care unit to take care of brain injury survivors at that hospital. So I was, um, you know, I was put um, into a into a critical care room and taken care of there. And I have post traumatic amnesia, so I don't actually remember the accident. Oh wow! Okay. I have some post traumatic dreams, but I don't know if my memory is real or constructed. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. So, so this whole period of time in the hospital must be just a blur. I only remember waking up in the hospital. The day I woke up in the hospital, um, I was about a week in Hmm. to my stay there. Um, Well, that's my first memory is waking up in the hospital. I'll say that. My first memory was waking up in the hospital and then... uh, my next memory is that they asked me if I was okay walking mm-hmm. and I had no idea what had happened to me. Yeah. No one had told me that I had a brain injury yet. And I said, of course. And I remember having to pull my legs up and I kind of threw them over the edge of the bed because I wasn't good at moving my body yet. Yeah. And everybody rushed towards me because they knew I was going to fall off the bed if I didn't have support. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they, had, they put me in a wheelchair and then they had me stand for a moment and try to use the walker. And I have never felt so out of control of my body ever in my life because I, I, didn't have any idea that I couldn't use my body at yeah, the time. I can't imagine just waking up in a hospital and your body has changed in this fundamental way and you have no idea that it's even happened. That's That must be terrifying. Yeah, it absolutely was. It was terrifying. And it was instead of just like um, either being born with this disability right or or progressively experiencing things and getting used to it in a way right it was immediate right it was from 100 percent to zero (laughs) percent and that was such a huge shock and i feel like it was a trauma you know, sure. it was definitely an emotional trauma. Absolutely. I can't imagine how it this. wouldn't be a trauma. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That went along with this physical trauma. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so it was the post-traumatic amnesia was almost my brain's way of, uh, of making sure that I was as okay as I could be. Yeah. It's your brain protecting itself. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 That's so interesting to think about, you know, so for, for anyone who, you know, like us, who's experienced, uh, any sort of a disconnect between the mind and body, you become much more aware of your mind-body connection, which I think a lot of people take for granted, that yes. you know, your body does make a lot of decisions for you without your knowledge or awareness. And right. your, your body functions uh, with or without you in some ways and not in other ways. And when that, um, that signal pathway is uh, disturbed in any way, it feels so confusing because, you know, you like s send a signal to your leg. It's like, okay, I want you to move now. And you've, you know, that used to work. And now all of a sudden it doesn't work. And it just, for me, it just feels like this weird pressure. You know, it's like this, I'm like trying to think something that isn't happening. Um, is that what it feels like to you? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good description. Mm. Um, you know, and I, I'll use the word trauma again. It's, I don't, I don't know how to describe what it's like to be present, uh, to be present intellectually yeah, and not have the ability to communicate to your body. I it's, and, and that's what's frustrating is like people yeah, they don't understand yeah. how how hard that is to think about um, only having control of part of yourself mm. and the part of yourself that can intellectualize this this is scary or this is um, sad or this is you know whatever emotion you want to put on it. I I think strangely for a good amount of time i was angry mm -hmm. at my body mm. like it was rebelling against me it was i was angry um because you know i i did i i was normal for so many years for 32 years of my life 33 years of my life i was normal and then i was the opposite <laughs> yeah yeah, it's so fascinating. I mean, I, I've thought about this a bit about how my, because my condition progressed so slowly, it was hard for me to even realize it was happening for a lot of it. Um, and, you know, like I could have used a wheelchair for years and didn't because I never thought of it. No one recommended it. And when I finally got one, I was like, man, I wish I'd had this a long time ago, um, which was so interesting because for so long, for so much of the process, I was just kind of waiting for it to get better and, you know, just like hold up in my house waiting for it to get better. And it, that's, you know, it just didn't happen. Um, but it was so slow, you know, it was very slow. And when things got worse over time, it was like, well, this is the thing we're already waiting for. So I already know about this. So that, that trauma piece of the suddenness didn't happen to me, you know, I'm that, and that's something that, I, it's just a completely different shape to the journey than what I've had. So yeah, I'm, I'm, it's so interesting to hear, you know, it sounds like we have some overlap in our symptoms, but from completely different 
points of view and from different situations. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But the, I think regardless of whether it happens over time, you're born with that or it happens in an instant. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's all, um, like you said, it's something that um, more empathy needs to be uh, embraced around and understood, uh, you know, and I think that was probably one of the second big shockers for me after my injury was how unempathetic people really can be. Yeah. If you are slow, if you are different, people just discard you, you know, and to, to go from one side of the spectrum to the other to be, you know, quote unquote normal. <laughs> I've, I've never been a normal guy, but I've always been weird in some way, but my body functioned uh, in a, you know, supposedly normal way i hate using that word because i don't think it exists but i but it's it's we have to use it because you know how else can you describe what we're talking about um but yeah this the overnight difference that happens when you show any form of weakness um and you know i think this is this is a learned behavior in society we're kind of trained to think of people that don't function at the peak of perfection uh, society is trained to like discard those people. And when you become that person, it's, it's like a con living inside of a constant trauma in some ways. Yes. Yeah. And, um, I hate to bring, um, living in this country up in regards to this, but we are such an individualistic culture. Yeah. We're a bootstrap culture, right? Yeah. So um, even if you're experiencing an incredibly disabling event, people tend to fall on the side of, uh, oh, well, you'll get over it. You'll pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. And there's that whole uh, idea that, D- disabled people are just so inspiring because they do twice as much to, you know, get through their day and they're just so great, you know, but the reality is that we're just struggling twice as hard <laughs> and, and sometimes we need someone to say or help us with a task, but to say, you know, I see that you're struggling today mm-hmm. and I'm not going to hold you up to pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. But it's like the American way. Yeah. That's, I agree. I agree. I, I do. That's something that I think that is, is slowly starting to uh, loosen. It's like a really tight knot that's starting to loosen just a little bit as our society is recognizing how much damage that's caused overall, you know, in, in so many different ways. I don't think that we should throw that away from our culture, but we need balance. I feel like we're just really out of balance, you know? And you talk about the way that like society views disabled people, when the reality is that every single person has value. We all have intrinsic value. We all bring something to the table. We all have something special about us. And society is not going to recognize that, that about everyone. Um, and that, that is just inherently unfair. And the way that sometimes disabled people can be lauded for their norm, 
quote unquote normal achievements can also feel kind of uh, strange, you know, and kind of unfair. Just the whole thing is just so complicated. And we're all just people, you know, we're all just doing our best trying to exist in this weird society that we're all a part of. But we are also, as members of it, we all have power over shaping the future of it. You know, we all, uh, we have the right to vote and that's huge. And we have the right to build our own platforms and get up and say things like this podcast. I just started a podcast. I'm just like some random guy who started a podcast and it's reaching people, which is incredible. And, you know, like people are, are writing to me and asking to come on the show and, and that's incredible. That's fantastic. And sometimes I, I'm like, you guys all just realize that I'm just some random guy who started a podcast, right? <laughs> you know, but we all have that power. It's just learning how to um, find it and harness it and try to shape the future with the power that we have. Absolutely. What a wonderful point right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. We all, we do, we have intrinsic value. Yeah. We have so much value. You know, I mean, I can't, I can't drive to an office every day and mm -hmm. see clients, but I see clients, um, you know, on online. Yeah. I use telehealth now and I have clients whose lives have improved since they started seeing me. And so I can be a counselor. I can be a nerd and read all the books that I read. Um, <laughs> I read a lot of books um, and help other people in my niche, right? Yeah. In, in my little niche. It may or may not impact all lives, but, you know, maybe that's something that uh, is also something we need to focus on as far as empathy is concerned, is that not all of us are uber productive yeah. and can impact every single life. You know, not all of us yeah. are, are senators or the president <laughs> right, or astronauts, you know, but, but we still have incredible value. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. We reach. Learning to be happy with what you have and what you can do instead of what you imagine yourself doing, you know, or like the wildest version of your dreams. Um, yeah, as I get older, I'm having to let go of a lot of those wild dreams that I've had. But I've found like a much smaller, more approachable way to kind of live my dreams, which is, you know, I want to be a content creator and I want to make things that reach people. And I... I really want to support myself doing that. I'm absolutely not there yet at all. Um, but the fact that any financial support is coming in through my projects at all is incredible. You know, like as we're recording this podcast, I make about a hundred dollars a month, you know, <laughs> and yeah, I can't work. Yeah. So that's, that's it, you know? Um, but I'm so grateful for that because last year it was pretty much zero because I was, you know, I, I wasn't, finding things that I could do. I was trying to do my old things and finding that the window on them was closing, you know? Um, it's so easy to feel like your life is closing in around you when that happens. But I somehow I managed to refocus onto things that I could do and start new projects, including this podcast. And it's gone so great so far. And, and I can do it too. I'm still proving to myself that I can do it. You know, like you talk about meeting with your clients and I, I'm sure that when you first started, it must have been like terrifying to put yourself into that position where you are um, basically asking for some responsibility in the emotional health of other human, 
other other human beings putting yourself in a position to take that on. I know we're we're jumping ahead in your story here, but is that something you felt? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, you know, something that I've realized uh seeing clients consistently is that everybody has incredible insecurities. We're all yeah. scared. We're all scared, you know, that we're not going to be the person that we wanted to be when we were a kid. Mm. Um, you know, uh, but we're human. Like you said, we're human and it's okay. It's okay. It gives me hope to know that there's nobody who's perfect. Yeah. Everybody has their own struggles. And maybe that is what we need to understand to have empathy. Yeah. Is that a person may see you uh, in your wheelchair out in public um, and feel sorry for you or something, you know, like you talked about people trying to push you in your wheelchair. Oh my gosh, yeah. I would be so upset. <laughs> Same thing. But, um, you know, they, they may say, oh my gosh, he's not accomplishing what he wanted to accomplish. His life must be so terrible. Um, but the reality is that your life is probably on the same level as the guy's life who's sitting there feeling sorry for you. You know, he probably is experiencing some really intense emotional stuff uh, that he won't talk about or that he's um, struggling with internally that he won't express. Yeah, totally. And, you know, my life might be happier than his because I'm not walking around judging people on the street. <laughs> um, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just because they have a mobility device. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What you said about uh, we're all afraid of not living up to our childhood dreams. That That is really a really interesting way to phrase that because, you know, having a health condition that has forced me to let go of some of my childhood dreams um, was really, really difficult for me. And, and like that sort of happened abruptly for me. Um, yeah. But I've been so much happier since I let go of that. You know, this idea of like holding yourself accountable for the dreams of a child <laughs> is like inherently um, sad. You know, it inherently brings on sadness. It's like, you know, I can only be a famous rock star or I'm nothing. You know, I can only I can only be like the next Steven Spielberg, world famous director, or I'm nothing. That's how I used to think. And like the projects I'm doing now weren't things I even knew existed when I was, you know, a kid. So like between this podcast and green screening myself in every episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, like those are my two projects right now. And I neither of them were things that I knew existed as a kid or were options as a kid, but they're making me very, very happy. And I'm now feel like I've, I'm in a lane that makes me happy and I'm just going to keep going. Um, and do you feel that way about, about the work you're doing as a, as a counselor? Uh, well, it's, it's funny because I, I've had this dream since I was a child. Oh, really? Wow. I always pictured myself, uh, you know, I was a nerdy, kid who read far too early um probably neurodivergent but who knows uh because you know after a brain injury your brain goes through all these changes right but um you know i started reading at the age of four 
<laughs> I read my mom, the Count of Monte Cristo <laughs> when I was five um, out loud. Right. Uh, but I, I always dreamt of being a counselor and I was actually in the graduate program to become a counselor when I was hit by the car and I had to take three years off um, to relearn yeah. all of these essential skills. Um, I had to learn to walk, talk, read, and write again. Um, I think another part of the uh, trauma of my injury was that uh, I had to learn to read again. Wow. It took me a good year or so to get my reading level back up. I mean, I could read, but it was like scrambled and I just didn't understand it. I didn't have the comprehension. Mm. Um, I knew a word was a word and what word it was, but a whole sentence would go in one eye and out the other, you know, right? It just, yeah, I relate to this. Gone. yes so uh but yeah that's funny it has it has always been my dream but for a very long time for three years i thought that dream was done for yeah and i was in the process of trying to rethink my you know what i was going to do to feel productive in the world and that's very daunting incredibly daunting yeah so um, I'm I'm happy to do what I do, to yeah. to be able to do what I do. But it took me uh, four more years to get through the graduate program because I had to start over again, and then go through all of the classes again. And I didn't do super well at first. <laughs> in the classes, you know, I I got C's in some of the classes, and that was just incredibly, uh, you know, makes your heart drop mm. when you see like a C on your report card. It's like, oh, oh no! <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but I made it, and uh, I really had nobody supporting me, nobody there for me. Um, just push through on my own. Yeah, that's incredible. And, you know, everyone's journey is unique. And some people do live out their childhood dreams, you know, dreaming of being a rock star versus dreaming of being a counselor. Like, I had some very unrealistic dreams. Um, but but that's a beautiful story to to have this dream as a child of being a counselor, to feel like because of your brain injury, it might never happen. And then to retrain your, your mind and your body to get back to a place where you can do it, and now you're doing it, that's amazing. You know, that's fantastic. And yeah, I mean, we all, like, everyone faces challenges, you know, whether it's health challenges or otherwise, emotional challenges, relationship challenges. And a lot of people are defeated by their challenges. And, you know, stories like yours show that Sometimes you feel like you have been defeated, but you aren't. And your your story isn't done yet. There's so much more to do. And you've completely, you know, changed your own life just by doing the hard work of doing so. And I'd love to hear more about that. What, what was the um, recovery like, the physical therapy? You know, take us through that process. 
Um, so I, yes. So I was in the hospital um, for about a month. Um, and that was just keeping my life stable, obviously. <laughs> and then I went home and I was put into physical therapy. Um, and physical speech and occupational therapies. So I had, uh, my physical therapist was teaching me how to walk fluidly again, um, which took about a year and a half. Fluid walking took about a year and a half. Um, I could walk, but of course I had to sort of lift each leg very intentionally and they dropped when I lifted them and I was using uh, mobility devices for that entire time. Hmm. Um, and I was actually very proud by the way, when I transitioned to a cane and started using my, just my cane mm -hmm. and I could, I could pick my feet up high enough to not, uh, fall kind of fall onto the walker, you know, like lean my weight onto the walker. Yeah. Um, it was more of a just keeping myself going side to side with the cane, which is was, I think, a great accomplishment. <laughs> um, and then uh, speech therapy was probably the hardest uh, because I've always. I've always loved being someone who could express myself mm -hmm. and use my words um, well. And I was always well-spoken. Um, and when I first started speech therapy, I couldn't even remember what pliers, what the word pliers was. The speech therapist started uh, by showing me a panel of pictures. Uh, of things everyday things and one of them was pliers and i told you i was a mechanic and i couldn't remember the word pliers that was so upsetting yeah and i'm so glad that i uh started to remember those words slowly again about a year and a half i did a lot of reading in that time even if I couldn't absorb it, I was just trying to read and remember the words. And then occupational therapy is so strange because I never thought that I would be in a position to have to simply grasp, grasp something with my fingers and put it into something else and have that be a great accomplishment. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, when, you know, I started with big blocks, you know, moving big blocks from, you know, a, from a table into a big cup, things like that. And I couldn't even do that at first. And so it, it took, it took time to get to the point where I could, I could um, manipulate large objects things like that and then smaller and smaller objects and i'm just so grateful that there is such a thing as neuroplasticity yeah that allows your brain to reroute and 
and re, you know, associate itself with those tasks, with doing those simple things that I thought my whole life were just so simple. Yeah. And like you said, you just, you, you don't even think about your brain body connection. Yeah. Until you have to, you have to uh, refocus on it. Yeah. Something happens to it. And yeah, I mean, you're so right that, you know, the brain is, there. there is, you know, elasticity in mm -hmm. the functionality of the brain, where when yes. something traumatic happens, your brain can reroute itself, it, but it just takes time. And you have to kind of send thoughts down pathways to try to make it easier, you know? Um, yeah, like I, you know, I had to leave my job about five years ago and I was a leasing agent and I was, you know, doing a lot of computer work and like, um, like typing in numbers onto spreadsheets and stuff like that. And that was, that was all second nature to me at the time. And then I had to leave my job because after I flared up, I couldn't do it anymore. Like I just couldn't find the connections. You know, I, I couldn't remember what I was doing in the middle of doing it. Um, and I've been having really struggling with that for the last five years. And I, you know, as we're recording this podcast, I just got Major Pain on Spotify yesterday. I know the listeners won't hear this for about a month uh, after that, but I had to go through and like adjust the um, the the audio files for every single episode, and you know, make sure that it was all updated to go onto Spotify. And it was a lot of like computer work doing the type of stuff I used to do, and I had been dreading it because I'm like, I'm not going to be able to do this. This is going to be really hard. Um, and but it wasn't that bad at all you know, because like over the course of making the podcast, I've been kind of retraining my brain how to do some of that stuff. I, I write a description every week. I post an episode every week. There is like some computer work involved in that with numbers and stuff. And when I first started the show, you know, I would post one episode and then I'd feel like I wanted to cry because it was so hard just thinking through the stuff I was doing. And I would talk to Andy about it. It's like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but now it's like getting easier and it's shocking me, you know, like writing the descriptions is getting easier. Doing all that backend stuff is getting easier because I have the same process I use every week. And, and then having to do something a little extra, like getting it onto a new platform wasn't that bad. Uh, and I'm shocking myself. It's like, wow, my brain is doing better, which is weird. Cause you know, I didn't even know that that could happen. Um, so I've experienced a little bit of this myself, where if you do things repeatedly and you kind of, um, really think through your process and do things in a, um, a, a thoughtful way, as hard as that can be. And as much as that can hurt, you know, it like physically hurt my brain. Um, it gets yeah. easier, you know, and then it starts to feel almost normal and almost doable again. And it's, it's surprising me, you know, I, I always think of, uh, I have a tendency to think of things like, Oh, this is getting worse. It's going to continue to get worse. And that's just not the way that bodies work. Things go up and down. And you can, mm -hmm. sometimes you can trick yourself into going back up by doing things like, you know, physical or occupational therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Or you can retrain yourself. Yeah. Right. Re retrain yourself to uh, go about it in a way that is doable. Yeah, totally. Because, exactly. You know, and with the initial injury, uh, you know, your brain was used to doing things the exact same your whole life in the same ways. And those parts of your brain that can't function anymore, 
you know, they just, they, you can't do that task until you reroute the traffic to right. a different part of, reroute the traffic. There we go. Yeah, no, that's a good way of saying <laughs> to, it. To a different part of the brain. Yeah. And that's what, that's what's, what the beauty of neuroplasticity is, yeah. is that you, the part of your brain that wasn't used to doing that task uh, before can learn to do that task and just as well, if not better than the part of your brain that isn't functioning anymore or doesn't have the ability to function as well. Yeah. It just takes time and effort and it can be so hard to get over the emotional um, barriers to doing that. You know, this feeling of like, this isn't fair. I didn't have to used to do this. Why isn't this easy the way it used to be? I run into those feelings a lot. And then sometimes I don't get over those barriers and I just don't try to do the thing anymore. Um, like reading is a good example. I've been really struggling to read for a while. And, you know, you got me th- questioning myself now because I just kind of stopped trying and that's going to make it worse. So maybe I should go back to, you know, just comic books or something, um, which. You know, yeah. I, I love comic books. I'm not saying that comic books are childish. I'm saying there are, there's fewer words to read per page. So, it, in that way, it can be a little easier, you know? And maybe, yeah, I, maybe and I should a, do that. And a, and a graphic associated with it, right? Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. It can help you comprehend, give some context to the situation. Right. Yeah, and right. I think with initially with my reading, um, I just didn't like my brain couldn't understand the context. So that's a good, I think it's a good start. Yeah, totally. <laughs> the graphic novels for sure. Yeah. All the way. <laughs> I love them anyway. So why not? Um, okay. So do you think about your, yourself differently now? I know this is a little bit of a hard question to answer, but how has your sense of self changed before and after your injury? Well, that's a, that's a big one yeah. actually. Yeah. Because I am very different. Um, and I'm sure this is, this is present in other uh, disabilities as well, but brain injury survivors uh, call, call themselves by their old selves and their new selves, yeah. or they call it their new normal. Yeah. Because the normal that you were used to before the brain injury is different than the normal that you're used to after your brain injury. There's so many adaptions that you have to make accommodations that you have to make for yourself. Um, And, you know, if you do choose to work, um, you know, like I have the accommodation of working um, via telehealth, Mm -hmm. but uh, I couldn't, I couldn't go into an office now i don't think uh, you know it would it would be very draining for yeah. me yeah so i have to it's a it's a survival mechanism almost for me to see myself as a person who has survived a traumatic brain injury mm-hmm. and to acknowledge the symptoms that i experience and to give myself some grace mm-hmm. Because, you know, especially with an invisible disability, this is this person who's talking seemingly normally and 
gesturing fine and seems intelligent is what people in public see. That's all they see. So they don't know what I'm like um, after a seizure. Mm -hmm. They don't know what it's like to have a migraine for two days. They don't know what it's like to have muscle spasms, right? So they don't, um, they don't see that part of me, but I see that part of me and I have to honor and give myself grace during those times. And because of those symptoms, not despite those symptoms, you know, they're always going to be there. And so I think that's one of the big struggles as well is loving myself, even though I have these symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. Accepting the full picture of who you are now as yourself, you know, accepting that this is all part of you now. Um, must yeah. be so difficult and but so important, you know, so important to to honor and love and accept yourself, even though that sense of self might be different. It's still you, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and that's I think that that goes hand in hand with what we were talking about um, regarding what you what you do in the world. Yeah. Right, because. Just because you do something different in the world, you have a different input, doesn't mean it's any less, and it should be honored just the same. Yeah. And you never know, you you might be happier with your new path, you know, like holding, holding so tight to one thing that may or may not happen is you know, that's how I used to live. <laughs> and now I'm just holding tight to what I have that works for me, you know, that Absolutely. I have now that works for me. And I feel much yeah. happier, even though I'm in way more pain than I used to be. Um, <sighs> physically, I'm in way less pain emotionally. Um, and I think that for me is partially like a survival mechanism. I can't be in all the pains at once. You know, I gotta, I, if my body's always going to be in pain, then I need to focus on my mental pain and make that as minimal as possible. And that's really, really, really helped me a lot. But the weird thing is like to find happiness inside of chronic pain is not what I expected, you know, or a sense of contentedness with my life that I didn't have before. I never expected that either. So, right. yeah, I mean, the more, the more we talk about what's possible after, you know, is powerful, I think, because so much is possible. And maybe as much as was possible before, just in a different way. You just didn't know how to realize it or see it before. Right, right. But yeah, and of course, there are people who experience, uh, you know, a disability. And they also experience emotional pain. Yeah. That may or may not be acknowledged. And I mm. think that um, it's such... It's such a great blessing uh, to have the ability to see that light and that emotional beauty. Yes, it's um, a privilege. It, yeah, it's a pri- there you yep. go. It's a privilege. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that um, you know, of course, my message to people um, who are out there who are not feeling emotionally 
okay because of their disabilities is that they aren't alone and right. that that's that's why this i was drawn to this podcast and um to this message is that you allow people to understand and know that they are not alone well that makes me so happy to hear i mean that's I feel less alone because of this podcast. I felt alone in this for a long time. And yes. there's so many of us, you know, and we all have some, there's so much commonality in experience. You know, I hear from people a lot that they think I have what they have, um, you know, because I'm undiagnosed. They're like, well, I think you might have what I have because it sounds very similar. And I've heard that from enough people to know now that just the spectrum of chronic illness, there's just a lot of similarity across the board, you know? Um, when any neurological situation, there's going to be some similarities. Um, and I've found similarities with so many people. And it's so comforting, you know? It's, it's really comforting to know that so many other people out there are going through what I'm going through. People will get me, you know? But that, that brings me to my next question for you, because, you know, I've experienced since, um, you know, coming out of COVID lockdown, I came out of it in a wheelchair. And I went into it, without a wheelchair. Um, but I'd already kind of been in health lockdown for years before COVID even started. So, I've had this like long period of time where I've been kind of hidden away from the world and then COVID made it even, even more so. And then as everyone starts to come back out into society um, post-COVID lockdowns, I came out different. And just seeing oh, yeah. how all my friends and family have reacted to that has been very interesting to me. And I now have you know, I, I, I had a lot of fear around people seeing me in a wheelchair, seeing my muscle spasms, you know, seeing mm -hmm. me not able to sit still in a way that is much worse now than it was the last time they saw me or hung out with me. And feeling, feeling that um, sensation of being around them again and having them see it. And all my friends have been amazing and very accepting of it. But it's just, you know, it's a weird thing to go through. And I say that because I can't imagine, uh, well, I guess I'm trying to imagine your scenario where you ha are like a slightly different person pre and post injury. So, how did, that, um, how did that work for you to become this person that you are now with the people that knew you before? I I'm, in, my, in my imagination, it must be easier to talk to someone you've never met before um, and get to know someone now who, like, I just see you for you. You don't seem different to me because I've never met you before. Um, but anyone who knew you before, um, you know, you've talked about how you've changed. Is that a hard thing for you to integrate into relationships? Oh, absolutely. Yes, because um, I did, uh, all brain injury survivors emerge as a different person. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about what is the seat of your entire personality, it's yeah, your brain. It's your brain. Yeah. <laughs> it's your brain. Uh, so uh, there were parts of my brain that were damaged that changed my personality. Um, and a majority of brain injury survivors, uh, they have depression and anxiety. Um, post brain injury, uh, a majority, probably like 90%, a lot, 
a lot of them, depression and anxiety. And I think that's because of exactly what you just said. Because here you are emerging into the world, seeing the people that you know and love, that you've known, you know, who have known you their whole life. You emerge this person who is anxious and depressed and almost a burden to deal with, Hmm. a burden to handle. And it's complicated by all the symptoms, uh, especially the immediate symptoms, right? Like lack of ability to speak or to speak well, right? Um, I, I never lost the ability to speak, but speaking well, I, I couldn't do that for quite some time, right? So um, my friends, my friendships were very complicated by that. And it was, that made the depression and anxiety mm. worse right. at first. Right. And I just wished that people would have read or research something about what happens after a traumatic brain injury and what that can really do to a person. Mm -hmm. And they didn't. Um, And I think that's a great disservice that we're doing to disabled people is if we have friends, if we have loved ones who are experiencing a disability, um, we could serve them by honor them by looking into what it what it's like. You know, even just asking, yeah, what does that feel like? You know, how do you feel? How do you feel when that happens? And because none of those questions were really asked, that's why I uh, I did experience those big emotions at first. Hmm. And I think partly they drove me to mask, like we were talking about earlier. If I was in pain, if I was out with friends in a restaurant and the clinking of the silverware overwhelmed me to a point where I wanted to crawl under the table, (laughs) I would sit there without even an expression of pain on my face because I didn't want to scare my friends or make them like me less, you know, all of those things. uh, I, I went through kind of alone. So it, to answer your initial question after my injury, it felt really, really alone, isolated, even if, even when I was around people. Yeah. That totally it's makes very sense. Very isolating. Yeah. yeah. Well, what a, what a gift this is for anyone out there to who listens to this podcast, because you just provided the exact thing that you wish your friend had done or your friends had done, which is like, hear what the actual experience is so that yeah. other people can understand. You just made it easy. We just recorded this whole podcast and it's going to be <laughs> out there um, yes. for, I mean, indefinitely, and this will just exist. So 
So hope you know, I, I always hope that with this show is that the the next generation of people with chronic illness of any kind, chronic pain, invisible illness, they will have a resource to not just learn about what they're going through from someone else's perspective, but to have an easy way to share with other people. It's like, hey, I had a traumatic brain injury. Here's someone speaking on it, and this is the ways that it can affect someone. And even though your story is unique, with like we we're just talking about, there is so much commonality in going through these isolating traumatic experiences. Yeah, yeah, Isol- Yeah, and you you defined it too as isolating. Yeah, because you're in your own body, right? Excuse me, and nobody knows what it's like to be in that body right. and to experience what that body is experiencing, but. It's so helpful and so humanizing to just ask. Yeah, totally. Or to just, you know, I think the greatest gift I ever got after my brain injury from a friend was I had a friend who called me and said, hey, I, I heard you have a brain injury, so I've been reading some articles hmm. about brain injury. And I just wanted you to know that I can't believe you've been through all this. And it's, it's just so harrowing. And I'm so grateful that you're okay. But the fact that she had taken the time to just read an article about what it's like to experience recovery from a brain injury is, was such a gift. Yeah. Really. Totally. What would you say to someone who if you could address someone who just had a traumatic brain injury and is on their road to recovery and is scared and feeling isolated, what message would you want them to hear? Ooh, yeah, that's a hard one. Um, I mean, obviously the first one would be, you are not alone. There are people all over the world who have experienced this and we are here for you. Um, And I would, I would tell them that it's not easy, but they should never think they can't reach out for help. Yeah. And that, I think that applies to every disability. It's not easy, but never be afraid to reach out. Ask yeah. for help if you need it. And it's so, I mean, like in the United States, it's so hard, right? To be someone who says, help me, hmm. right? And not not have this strong face on all the time. But it's okay to drop the mask. And to say, hey, I need some help. Absolutely. That's so important. Is there anything we haven't covered today about brain injury that you want to share? Um, We've covered a lot. (laughs) We have. I'm, you know, it's incredible. Like you, you speak incredibly well. You're so clear. You're thoughtful. You have so many valuable things to say your experience is so valuable hard-fought experience that you know is such a gift to share and just hearing a bit about what you've been through and how hard it was to get to this point 
is incredible. And the fact that you are so, you're so obviously present and intelligent and have so much to offer the world. Um, that's apparent to me just from meeting you today. And it's such an incredible message to send to anyone with a traumatic brain injury of any kind. Um, just by being here, that's an incredible message. Just by recording this conversation, like look what's possible eight years down the line. And who knows, you know, the brain is always rewiring and always working. And, you know, who knows what heights you will reach in your life. So, yeah. yeah. And, and all of us, all of all us. All of us, absolutely. I'm so grateful that you, uh, you know, kind of gave gave everyone an idea of what it's like to not be following your, like we said, your childhood dream, but to mm. be following your dreams nonetheless. Yeah. Make new dreams. Find dreams there that you, you can do. Yeah. Make new dreams. Yeah. I think that <laughs> the, the difference in perspective between dreaming big and achieving nothing and uh, dreaming, dreaming big, but in a way that is realistic, where you can take action immediately, that's, that's the switch that was flipped in me that has completely changed my life. It's like, you know, like, what, what's, what's the smallest version of my wildest dreams? <laughs> like, what can I do right now? What do I have all the tools for and the energy for right now to do? Start small. You know, if I want to, like, build up to something bigger, that's great. But what would make me happy in the moment? You know, th that's what I'm now pursuing. Uh, and it's really changed my life for the better. Uh, on both of my creative projects, this and my Star Trek videos, it's just like, I just feel this creative fulfillment that I've never experienced, which is amazing. I never thought I was capable of feeling this way. Like, you know, as much as I love making music and I miss it desperately and I fully intend to always make music, even if it's incredibly slow, um, hopefully someday I'll get a diagnosis and be able to make music the way that I used to. But, yeah. but what I've learned from this process of, you know, finding the thing you can do in the moment has just been just the most important thing you know just changed my life completely for the better it's really incredible um and you know going through chronic illness changes your perspective and i feel like in a lot of ways for the better and it sucks yes. to have to do it this way but we did it <laughs> we're here <laughs> it's so interesting uh you know life life itself is just so it's so interesting and yeah. dynamic yeah and and the fact that it's always kind of in this flex in this in this ebb and flow like yeah. waves definitely yeah totally but you know you brought up diagnosis and i guess that did trigger something yeah uh in my mind that i wanted to say which is that uh you know i i talked a little bit about it at the beginning of the podcast that people with brain injury aren't always diagnosed oh fascinating right because um you know, you could be a kid on the playground, you fall, you bonk your head on, uh, you know, and that's such a horrible phrase to use. You bonked your head, right? On, but on a bar or something or on a slide, you hit your head and there's an impact there. And, um, you know, maybe it wasn't seen when you're on the playground by your parents or caregivers or, uh, you know, you just kind of shake it off because you're a kid. Yeah. And then the behavioral changes come later. 
the physical changes come later. Sometimes it, it does take some time for it to manifest. Um, and you can still develop uh, post-concussion syndrome, which mm. is what happens after a brain injury. And you can be a kid who's diagnosed with something like ADHD and you don't have it. Wow. But, um, you know, you had a brain injury that was undiagnosed when you were a kid. And one of the, one of the issues um, that has haunted me since my brain injury is that doctors are very minimizing when it yeah. comes to people with traumatic brain injuries and people with mystery illnesses, right? They will minimize you and you just deserve a platform to say to somebody who's in the medical profession, this is what I'm experiencing and I need you to hear and note everything Yeah. so that we can get through this together. And I feel like that, I feel that the healthcare system, the doctors, um, for whatever reason, I'm not sure why, you know, I've been seen by a lot of neurologists, <laughs> um, but they, they don't have a lot of time and that's not yeah. their fault, Right. but they don't have a lot of time. And what ends up happening is that they don't have time to go through the symptoms with you to really sit down and work through and grind away at how they can help. Yeah. And so that is something that um, I just wanted to share. I want everybody to know that probably we're all in the same boat as far as that's concerned. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, it's something that comes up a lot on this show is how patients and doctors interact. And, mm -hmm. and a lot of it is not the doctor's fault. Like you said, they, you know, sometimes we just have very little time. And I think there must be something that happens when you see so many people with, uh, you know, with whatever illness that you specialize in as a doctor, that you become desensitized to the um, emotionality of the particular individual. Because as a patient, uh, this is the only body I got. And if something's broken, I'm upset, you know, and they must, yeah. they must experience that so much that in order to function, they have to kind of shut that part of their brain off or, you know, quiet the part of their brain that would be as, you know, caring or empathetic for every single person. Otherwise they can't function. So it's important to know that as the patient and to remember your own intrinsic value and to not let the way that the doctor speaks to you diminish your own sense of your own value. Cause that's something that I had problems with as far oh, as yeah. like, doctors telling me that I was making this up or it was all in my head and there was nothing wrong. It made me diminish my own value in my own head. And that's something that I really struggled through, you know, and, and now still Absolutely. struggle through for sure. Um, yeah. 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 I have a friend um, who she was sandwiched in her car between two semi trucks. Wow. Very bad physical injuries all over her body. Um, and she stutters now because the muscle spasms she has are in her esophagus mm. and in her throat. 
that's one of the muscle spasms. She has them all over, but they caused a stutter. And the doctors told her that she had conversion hmm. disorder. Yeah. So they put her in therapy. Um, and the therapist that she has specializes in cognitive behavioral therapy. So essentially, she's trying to change her cognition of the behaviors that manifest because mm. of her perceived uh, conversion disorder. Yeah. And it's such a disservice to her. Yeah. Because she's experiencing these incredible physical ailments that the doctors have chalked up to thoughts. Yeah. And I think that is a huge disservice to all patients um, is, is saying something like, Oh, it's, it's in your head. Right. Well, yeah, it's in my head. It's in my brain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my brain is not functioning properly. Come on. Let's. <laughs> yeah. It's literally all in my head because that's, you know, where my injury was. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 That's exactly. why I hate that so much. It's like the whole idea of like, it's all in your head. You know, that's where neurological problems happen. So, right. when you say it's all in your head, you're dismissing the patient or saying, I can't help you because, because this is imaginary, instead of recognizing the fact that, you know, neurological problems stem from the brain and those patients deserve care. It's that simple. Yeah. Yes, but that's, and that's the, that's the horror of invisibility. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's all in your head. Yeah. That's why it's so important to advocate for yourself because most, mm -hmm. most of the time doctors won't advocate for you. And if you don't advocate for yourself, nothing's going to happen. You, every once in a while you get lucky, you find someone who's willing to break down doors to get you care. I'm in that position now. And I still feel incredibly lucky that my primary care doctor is that guy, but Yes. It's so hard to find. It's so hard to find. And when you haven't found it, you just feel like you're flailing and kind of spinning around in the void of nothingness and like nothing can happen and you'll be sick forever. And and it's just the worst. It's awful, but it, it changes, you know, it gets better. <laughs> it gets better. There we yeah. go. Yes. Yeah. I, I agree. It gets better. Yeah. I think that's the take home right there, right? Absolutely. Crystal, you did a really just a bang up job today. You did so great. I have loved this conversation. You're an absolute joy to talk to. Um, I, you know, every every conversation on this podcast blows me away. It's it's <laughs> sometimes I worry that like that it's going to seem like I'm being disingenuous because I say similar things every time, but it's real. Like every time I talk to someone on this show and get a piece of their story and uh, it, it, I always leave it feeling just so uplifted because I feel less alone. I feel more validated in my own experience. Um, and you did that for me today, for sure. I've, I've loved this so much. Is there anything that you'd like to plug or share with the audience, direct the audience towards? Um, no, I, I mean, my, my handle on TikTok is survivor therapist, but I, haven't been posting much lately <laughs> uh, just because of all of the work and everything else that I've been having to accomplish. So, yeah. Well, I'll tag you there when I post this episode up on TikTok. Perfect. Yeah. That's, awesome. that's all, that's all we need. Yeah. 
Fantastic. Well, yeah. man, what a what a joy to talk to you. I I uh, I really really appreciate your time, Christelle. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Jesse. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, and Brooke Walters Schmidt, and our $25 per month producers Steve Cavanaugh and Chris Fowler. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition and gifts at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast.